A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. In other news, Tex Winter did not make the team flight to Boston for Game 1. He was actually hospitalised with a 104 degree temperature. That's a very warm winter, Adam. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh. I always like to say that Michael got to play with me for a year at North Carolina. (laughs) I think it really helped him. Spectacular player from the beginning. You can see right away Jordan was going to be a big time scorer. And showed what an impact he was going to have on the league. This is NB87. Celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls in the 1987 NBA season. Now here's your hosts, Adam Ryan and Aaron Steen. Welcome back to NB87, up to episode 13 in the series. This is the ultimate episode. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. How are you today, Aaron? Hi, Adam. I love it. CBS, take a bow. Yeah. NBA, news, notes and quotes. 1987 playoffs, through to the finals. On April 19, Bob Sakamoto wrote of the pleasure that the Bulls organization were taking in the team's 40-42 and 42 record this season. Pre-season, experts had them winning between 25 and 30 games, and coach Doug Collins added it had been an incredible season. Speaking of incredible, Michael Jordan's season had him and agent David Fork meeting with the Bulls to renegotiate his contract. His current one had him earning $1 million a season through to the 89-90 season, which had him earning less than the likes of friend of the show Kelly Chapuka, Wayman Tisdale, former Chicago Bull Orlando Woolridge, and Dan Ranfield. They were met with a, and I quote, the organization doesn't renegotiate contracts from the front office. That's going to make a lot of people unhappy, added Michael Jordan. (laughs) Interesting stuff here about the uh, machinations of these guys' contracts, particularly, of course, Jordan, who's uh, arguably one of the, the top couple of players in the league, <laughs> clearly at this stage. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy considering when you hear some of the contracts that the 87 draft picks uh, would be signing and what they were worth, they weren't that much less than that $1 million a season that Jordan was on. Interestingly, um Pippen was actually then hamstrung for many years as well with a contract that he signed for some long-term security, which ended up uh, costing him many millions of dollars by the time the, the new contract schemes came in. Now, no, Adam, don't don't spoil NB88 episode one. Jump in the gun a bit there, mate. So yeah, <laughs> sorry, mate, we'll get back to uh, NB87. On April 21st, Bob Sakamoto detailed the upcoming first round matchup against the Boston Celtics. The Bulls had lost 13 straight to Boston, including the three-game sweep the previous season. The Bulls' last win against Boston was on December 17, 1985, when former Bull and, at the time, current Bull, Orlando Woolridge, scored 37, and Jordan watched from the sidelines with a broken foot. Game three of this series at Chicago Stadium only had 1,500 second-tier and standing room tickets available. On April 22nd, to avoid a repeat of the 86 playoffs, The Celtics are planning to double-team Jordan at every opportunity and have his teammates beat them. Boston doesn't believe that any of them can hurt them, so their attention will be solely focused on the league's scoring leader. One of those teammates, John Macbeth Paxson, sprained an ankle in practice during the week and is in doubt for Game 1 with hashtag friend of the show Sadale Threat, his expected replacement. Jordan said, despite playing all 82 games this year, he feels as fresh as he did the year before when he missed 64 games with a broken foot. In the following day's paper, it was reported that he injured the middle finger on his right hand when he hit it on the hoop at practice the following day. I, however, often never had that problem when I played. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was a prisoner of gravity for the, the entirety of my career, inverted commas career. Uh, not good. The Air Jordan 3s with the elephant print on them, I think that was more like a concrete print when I wore them because <laughs> very much so vertically challenged. <laughs> In other news, Tex Winter did not make the team flight to Boston for Game 1. He was actually hospitalised with a 104-degree temperature. That's a very warm winter, Adam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. I could go it all day with these sort of uh, <laughs> plays on words, funny stuff. Uh, now on the 23rd, we'll get to the Bulls in a moment, but out west, the number one seeded LA Lakers matched up against the number eight seed Denver and Showtime swept the Nuggets three zip. The Lakers were firing on all cylinders, uh, scoring 128 or more in each of the games, wrapping up the series with a demoralizing 140-103 to win at Denver. Now, this series also featured in Game 1 Magic Johnson's near full-court heave, and you may have seen that in various highlight packages over the years. A three-pointer by Bill. The Notre Dame shot with an air ball. Taken by Magic. He throws to the other end. It went in! It went in! Ladies and gentlemen, I've never seen anything like it. Magic will get the rebound. One second. He throws the ball from 10 feet inbounds, and it went in! According to the LA Times in a May 18 article, the following day after Magic's long bomb, a tape measure was brought out to calculate the exact distance and it was measured at 77 feet and 8 inches. Now James was definitely worthy, leading the Lakers with 23 points per game, whilst Byron Scott, AC Green, Magic, Kareem, Michael Cooper and Kurt Rambis all averaged 10 or more points per game. Crazy. It is. Denver had five players averaging double figures, however, were simply outmatched by the juggernaut Lakers. Alex English led the Nuggets with 18.7 points per game. 128 or more in each of the games, you might like to say that Denver could have used a little Mo defense. <laughs> Good one. You dug deep, I guess, for that one. They really dug themselves a hole defensively. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be one of those episodes. Boston was number one seed in the East, and Chicago were number eight. And Cleveland was the next best team in the East, but was still nine games behind Chicago, just to paint a picture there of how the playoffs were about to unfold. Now, game one, Chicago at Boston in front of 14,890. The Celtics held on for a four-point win, 108 to 104, and went up 1-0 in the series. And the Bulls outscored Boston 57 to 42 in the second half to make it more than respectable. For Chicago, Jordan started off the playoffs in fine form with 35 points, 6 boards, 7 assists and 4 steals. The ever-reliable Charles Oakley had 21 points and 12 rebounds. And for Boston, Kevin McHale had 21 points and 6 rebounds. Ainge, 20 points and 8 assists. Robert Parrish, 19 points and 11 boards. And Larry Legend, 17 points, 9 rebounds and 13 assists. The Bulls outscored Boston 57-42 to 42 in the second half and still lost the game by 4 points. How I hear nobody asking, Adam. The Bulls were down by 66 to 47 at the half. The Bulls made the game interesting in the second half with two big runs, a 23-10 run to start the third, had the Bulls down by only six late in the quarter, and a 19-5 run tied the game at 100 with 2.10 to go. The potential game-tying score for the Bulls ended when a double-team Jordan dished the ball to Brad Sellers, who had a foot out of bounds. Collins added post-game that there would be 4 million proud people watching this team from Chicago. The Bulls took confidence from the game in which Michael Jordan missed his first seven shots and Larry Bird took a season-low seven shots in the Celtics' win. Larry wasn't happy about his field goal attempts in the game and vowed to shoot more in Game 2. The following day's Tribune even had an article titled Bulls Banks Already for Jaws Return. <laughs> Jaws, okay. Yeah. Gene Banks, who prior to Game 1 said he'd hold Bird to under 25 points, actually missed the team pass for Game 1. <laughs> he said he wasn't going to say anything before Game 2 because, and I quote, he doesn't want Bird going nuts, <laughs> end quote. Gene Banks came out with some pretty funny lines back in this time. There's a few times in previous episodes of this series where he said a couple of amusing comments. And once a 76er, always a 76er, apparently to Celtics fans. A Boston fan sitting close to the court yelled at Doug Collins during the game that he was scum when he was in Philly and will always be scum. Doug's response, right on. <laughs> That's crazy. 
Yeah, nuts. Fans pay the price of admission and think they can just start sledging people left, right and centre. On the 24th, Portland's Mike Shuler was named Coach of the Year. He led the Blazers to a 49-win season, and that was good for third best in the Western Conference. George Carl of the Golden State Warriors was second, and Pat Riley of the LA Lakers third. Moving on to the 25th, now let's chat about arguably the best first-round series. Number four-seeded Utah played number five-seed Golden State. The Warriors ultimately prevailed three games to two after initially trailing two games to none. The series was marred by a very ugly brawl that erupted just seconds after Game 2 concluded, or you could actually say it even began as the buzzer sounded. And the frustration of the series and the tempers flare. George Carl is going at a fan! George Carl is at a fan! And right now George knocks him over! We have a wild scene here! George Carl has lost it, and he has attacked the fan! As the crowd is on the floor, and now they are scoring George off the court. Now Sleepy Floyd is in there with a security guard. Floyd and Teagle are being escorted off the floor. It should not happen this way. It was too good a basketball game to end with this kind of fracas. I do not believe in this. I know exactly how it started. And then tempers and your emotions are high. Well, let me tell you, Rick Ballard was the one warrior who was most concerned about Malone's antics and Malone's showboating it. And I think Malone really got Greg hot at that last sequence. Golden State won the next three games, clinching the series at the Salt Palace, becoming just the second team ever to come back from an 0-2 deficit to win a best of five as per Tim Brandt on the CBS telecast. If it weren't for the Warriors' remarkable series win, one of the greatest single-game performances in the history of the NBA playoffs would not have happened. We'll get to more of that later in the episode. The Warriors' Sleepy Floyd led his team with 20.2 points and 10 assists per game, whilst the Jazz were led by Carl Malone to the tune of 20 points and 9.6 rebounds per game. (laughs) Sadly, when I look back at my notes as I say this sort of stuff, uh, I still get a chuckle myself out of my stupid jokes. Um, the next first round series we'll recap is Atlanta versus Indiana. The Hawks were the number two seed in the East and the Pacers number seven. Atlanta would win the series three games to one. They won the opening two games at home. Indiana won game three behind Chuck Person's 23 point and 17 rebound effort before Atlanta closed it out in four, 101 to 97 at Indiana. Each team had a clear leader in the scoring column. As you expect, Dominique Wilkins was a points machine, averaging 32.5 per game, including a series-high 43 in Game 2. For Indiana, Chuck was the person doing most of the scoring, averaging 27 points, and he had a 40-point outing in Game 4 loss. There you go. To go with an impressive 8.3 boards and 5 assists per game. On the 26th, the day after Game 1, Bird spoke to the media explaining he had just been on the phone to his hometown, French Lick, Indiana. And due to his seven field goal attempts in Game 1, the town, its taverns and its schools had all shut down. (laughs) If it happens again in Game 2, he said, the crops will come late, there will be no corn, and no one will come to see him play in Game 3 at Chicago. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. I guess you've got to take it for his word that uh, some of those stores <laughs> did, did shut down. <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite phenomenal to think that's possible. Even Danny Ainge made fun of Bird, asking him if his right arm is okay for game two. <laughs> Bird's reply, seven shots takes it out of you. I had to ice it before bed. <laughs> uh, great. In an interesting comment, when asked about playing in Michael Jordan's shoes with limited help, Bird said that it could have been him if the Celtics hadn't selected him as a junior out of college. The following year, the Bulls had the number two pick and he could have ended up in Chicago. Bird acknowledged that Jordan needs more help, though there were three guys on the Bulls roster he would like to play with, though he didn't name names. Hmm, that is interesting. Yeah. He was also asked about comments from Doug Collins about tiring the Celtics starting five to keep games close down the stretch. Larry said that Collins probably got tired playing 40 minutes of basketball, but not Larry Bird, Dennis Johnson, or Danny Ainge. I love the belief they have in themselves, these top-level players. Great stuff. Ultimate belief, yeah. Yeah. Now, on the 26th, Game 2, Chicago at Boston again in front of 14,890. Saw the Celtics have a 105-96 to win, and Boston went up two games to none. Jordan had an absolute beauty. 42 points, four boards, four assists, and four blocks. Charles Oakley, 25 points and 15 rebounds, so a fantastic game for him. The great man, Dave Corzine, 12 points and 10 boards. For Boston, 
Bird upped the scoring to 29 points. He had seven boards and eight assists. Kevin McHale, 20 points and 10 boards. Dennis Johnson had 18 points, seven assists and three steals. Danny Ainge, 18 points. And the Chief, Robert Parrish, 14 points and 10 rebounds. So much for the double-teaming defense on Jordan. (laughs) That's true. He only went for a quiet 42. The Bulls actually took a lead in the fourth quarter of Game 2 with a 13-1 Bulls run before a 20-9 Celtics run took Boston to a 2-0 series lead. Bernie Linsicum said that the generosity of youth also gifted the Celtics eight Bulls turnovers down the stretch. (laughs) I love that. The Bulls stayed close until the last two minutes of the game in a physical struggle that included Oakley putting McHale into the basket support in the fourth quarter. McHale, who also twisted his ankle in the second term in a block shot attempt on Jordan, said he'd rather hit the basket support ten times than deal with a twisted ankle. The incident woke the Garden crowd and the Celtics players and was a turning point in the game. I guess this was the 87 playoffs that uh, McHale played with a broken foot, didn't he? So a twisted ankle wouldn't have helped. No, not at all. He ended up uh, having a fracture of some kind, I think, and it certainly got progressively worse as the playoffs campaign went on. Back to the Western Conference, number two seed Dallas took on number seven seeded Seattle. The Sonics were super, defeating Dallas three games to one. The Mavs' sole victory was in game one with an outrageous 151 to 129 scoreline in game one of a playoff series. The Sonics' Dale Ellis, great friend of the show, episode 57, was in the unique position of having played for the Mavericks the season prior and exacted revenge on his former team, including a monster 43-point outing in game three of the series. In his previous three post-seasons as a Maverick, Dale only played 16.5 minutes and averaged 5.9 points per game. In this 87 series, he averaged 29.5 points and almost 35 minutes a game. Tom Chambers and Xavier McDaniel both averaged more than 20 points per game. The Mavericks were paced by another great friend of the show, Rolando Blackman, episode 70, and his 23.5 points per game. Mark Aguirre, Sam Perkins and Derek Harper were the next highest scorers with 21.3, 17 and 16.5 points per game respectively. It's a pretty impressive turnaround in stats by a friend of the show, Dale Ellis, in between his three postseasons as a Maverick and then this one in 87. And he must have been awfully happy also to have uh, had that kind of a turnaround against his former team. Absolutely was. And we did chat a bit about that because uh, he took particular pride in the fact that he got to exact that revenge on his uh, former squad. On April 28, it was reported in the lead-up to Game 3, Michael Jordan said that this was a different Bulls team to the one that got swept from the playoffs the previous year. Some players on the 86 team were getting ready for a vacation after going down 2-0, said Michael. Not this year. (laughs) Optimistic. Now, on that same day, the 28th, Boston at Chicago in front of 18,122 Saw the Celtics win 105 to 94. So the vacations, <laughs> the vacation plans. Vacations on. They're back on pretty quick. Boston took the series three games to none. Interesting to note here the Bulls were outscored 37 to 21 in the final quarter. That would have hurt. Which is an ultimate kick in the gut there. For the Bulls, Jordan had 30 points on nine of 30 from the field. 11 rebounds and 7 assists. Oakley had 14 points and 19 rebounds. Dave Corzine, 13 points and 9 boards. And Geno Banks, 12 points. For Boston, Larry Bird, 32 point, 14 rebound, 6 assist game. DJ, 24 points and 10 assists. Parrish had 17 points and 10 boards. And Danny Ainge had 13 points. The headline said it all. Shattered Bulls swept away. Doug Collins' emotions deserted him post-game. Usually defiant in defeat, Colin sat slumped in his chair, voice flat and glassy-eyed, wrote Bob Sakamoto. But it wasn't the Boston defeat that had Collins flat, it was the Bulls' collapse as Chicago missed seven free throws in the fourth quarter and shot just five for 22 in the term. A packed Chicago stadium chanted, let's go Bulls in the third term, as Chicago jumped out with a 10-2 run, prompting two Celtics timeouts to quell the Bulls' momentum. 15 fourth-quarter points from Larry Legend and a 16-4 run put an end to the Bulls' season in a game in which Chicago gave it their all. Michael Jordan, who came down with a stomach virus the morning of the game, struggled going 9 for 30 from the field, including 0 for 6 in the fourth quarter. After the game, several Celtics said the Bulls had too much standing around watching Jordan operate. couple of quick things, mate. I had no idea prior to our recording of this today that Jordan was suffering from a stomach virus. So that's interesting to note. And also, talk about bad timing to lose your team's momentum. Uh, the Bulls 
what was it? You said missed seven free throws in the fourth and shot just five of 22 whilst being outscored, I think, by uh, 16 in that final term, only to lose by 11. So not great. Just wasn't meant to happen, was it? <laughs> no, not at all. Post-game, Coach Collins said that they needed better players, players who can put the ball in the basket. Jordan said that he probably wouldn't pick up a basketball until the UNC alumni game in June and planned on spending all day tomorrow playing golf to relieve his frustration. Rumour has it that Jordan went through three sets of clubs the following day at a prominent (laughs) Chicago golf course. Cavs rookie star and future Chicago Bull Ron Harper was a guest in the Bulls locker room pregame. Harper played high school basketball with fellow Cleveland Indians, Oakley and Sellers. <laughs> Brad Sellers. Someone told Collins to find Harper a spare uniform, to which he replied, we could use you. And Charles Oakley added that Harper shoots the ball too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love those little tidbits. Now, just to recap the series... Larry averaged 26 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists per game. And of the remaining starters, Mikhail, Dennis Johnson, Ainge, and Parrish each averaged 16 points or more per contest. Jordan averaged 35.7 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, and 2.3 blocks per game, shooting 41.7% from the field, which is uncharacteristic for uh, Jordan over his career. Oakley was outstanding with averages of 20 points, 15.3 rebounds, and 2 assists per game though he did struggle from the field at 38%. In other news from around the league, the aforementioned Dale Ellis of Seattle was named the NBA's most improved player, and Dallas's James Donaldson was runner-up. Now, mate, our next first-round series to recap is Detroit versus Washington. The Pistons were the number three seed in the East. The Bullets were number six. Detroit pulled out the brooms, sweeping Washington three games to none. Detroit was firing on all Pistons in Game 2, throttling the Bullets 128-85, to 43-point drubbing. Detroit's 40-point halftime lead was the largest in NBA playoff history. Game 3, played on this date we're talking about now, April 29, was the Bullets' only game at home. It was a one-point loss. Detroit had six players, averaged 10 points or more per game, and Adrian Dantley and Isaiah Thomas were the equal high scorers with 21.3 points a contest. Remember this series, however, when we get to the 1988 postseason. Love some of these scoring averages you know, by players and teams. Back in the 80s, they were astronomical. Indeed, mate, indeed. The Bulls off-season got underway quickly in the press with out-of-contract Ralph Sampson mentioned to help bolster the Bulls' scoring deficiency. Podcast deity Dave Corzine <laughs> is also out of contract and openly said he'd like to play in Boston if he doesn't return to his hometown. <laughs> Both Paxson and Jordan sung the praises of rookie head coach Doug Collins. Jerry Krause added that he doesn't believe in giving up the future for immediate short-term goals. Needless to say, that was the end of any Ralph Sampson reports. <laughs> really interesting, though, that here Ralph Sampson's name mentioned as a possibility of joining the team. I guess not so much out of the ordinary, given who the Bulls would start their next season with as one of the centres, but we'll get to that. There's a lot of talk about a breakdown in communication, I guess, in between Samson and the other Houston Rockets. So it was kind of surprising to see the enormous contract that he'd end up signing to stay in Houston, Adam. True. And also in relation to Dave Corzine, he'd go on to play the most games for Chicago uh, in the 1980s, which is a fantastic stat, which I love to trot out. Hmm. So he'd continue with the team through another two seasons. Always love a bit of Dave Corzine talk. Now, mate, way out west, number three seed Portland were upset by number six seed Houston, three games to one. Now, the Rockets stole home court advantage with a 10-point win in game one before closing it out 113-101 to in game four. 24-year-old Akeem Olajuwon averaged 27.3 points, 9.3 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 2.5 steals, and five blocks per game. For the Blazers, Kiki Vandeweghe led his team with 24.8 points per game. Drexler added 24 points and 7.5 rebounds per game. And Steve Johnson, former Chicago Bull, chalked up 20.8 points and 10 rebounds per game. Look at those numbers for a 24-year-old Akeem Olajuwon. Dick Enberg said it during the 1993 All-Star Game. Was there any superstar that played with such little fanfare, I guess, as what Olajuwon did? He was... Amazingly, he was almost underrated, wasn't he? Under the radar as far as being a superstar goes. And as far as I'm concerned, just in the 
29 years I've watched the game, he's the best centre that I've ever watched play. He's phenomenal. And that's why I did actually emphasise his 24-year-old Elijah one mm. doing this in the 87 playoffs. Uh, let's move on to May the 2nd. And the Western Conference semi-finals commenced in a matchup of number six versus number seven seeds. The upstart Sonics would defeat the 86 NBA finalist Houston. Elijah one scored a series-high 49 points in Game 6, wow. but it wasn't enough as the Supersonics advanced to the Western Conference Finals. Dale Ellis averaged 28.5 points and Tom Chambers 25.2 points per game. Akeem dominated his team's stats, not surprisingly, with 30.5 points, 12.7 boards and 3.8 blocks per game. Unreal. Mm. On May 3rd, Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf said that there isn't anything that the team would not consider to help them become a championship contender. The Bulls' first 40-win season in six years has the organisation looking to continue their momentum. Reinsdorf said he, Kraus and Collins had spoken about their responsibility to the city to bring them a contender. This just adds to the interest that we have for NB88, mate, so uh, well on truly on the way. Now, on this date as well, this is the 3rd of May, the last Eastern Conference first-round series concluded. It was an entertaining five-game contest between Milwaukee and Philadelphia, the Bucks were number four seed. The 76ers were number five. This was the only series in the East that went to a deciding game. Of course, back then it was a five-game series at the most. This game also doubled as Dr. J's final house call. Milwaukee prevailed three games to two with a 102-89 decision at Philly in game five. Terry Cummings, great friend of the show, led the Bucks with 21.4 points per game and Jack Sigma averaged 14.2 points and 12.6 rebounds per game. Sir Charles was in charge of the 76ers with a strong 24.6 point and 12.6 rebounds per game. Now, Dr. J hung up the stethoscope, averaging a very solid 18.2 points, second only to Barkley, five rebounds and 3.4 assists per game. On the same date, the Eastern Conference semifinals got underway. It was a battle of the two and three seeds. Detroit made light work of Atlanta, taking the series four games to one. Isaiah Thomas paced the Pistons with 27 points, 7.8 assists, and 3.4 steals per game. The next highest scorer was Adrian Dantley with 15.8 points per game. Atlanta were led by Dominique Wilkins's 22.2 points and 8.6 rebounds a contest. Randy Whitman averaged 19.2 points, including a 34-point romp, haven't used that word before, <laughs> in Atlanta's Game 2 win. And Kevin Willis averaged 18.6 points and 10 rebounds a game. Dominique had his colours lowered a little bit, didn't he, in this series at 22.2 points per game? Yeah, he did a little bit. A lot of the scoring load was uh, on him, and if it wasn't for Randy Whitman, I guess, they would have been in even more strife. Randy Romp Whitman. (laughs) I like it. Not sure if he will, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) The remaining conference semis kicked off on May 5. In the West, number one seed Lakers were too good for the number five seeded Golden State. LA demolished the Warriors in game three of the series, 133 to 108 at Golden State and went up three games to none. However, the Warriors fought back with a gutty win for the ages in game four. Now, I alluded to this moment earlier. Golden State's Eric Floyd was anything but sleepy as he woke the Warriors with 51 points, including 29 in the final quarter to stun the Lakers. Worthy right side throw, stolen by Floyd, he's everywhere! Fowler takes the pass, here comes Floyd! Floyd, left side. Floyd backs away, Floyd drives, jumps off the glass, good! Greg, I've been in that position, here he goes again! Up, Luke's good way up, good! Left-handed, he went in again! Sleepy Floyd cannot be stopped! Floyd wants that drive, here he comes, bump, fall away, 15-foot around the ram, bouncing, good! <laughs> Floyd missed his first shot in this quarter. He's made 11 straight. Floyd off a pick, 18-footer. Good! Floyd has 27 points in the quarter. All-time NBA playoff record. Michael Cooper had that board, and Ballard over to Floyd up for a drive. A block is called. He made his first free throw. Floyd now has 50 points. Second free throw good. Floyd has 51 points. And he has 29 in the fourth quarter. Now, do yourself a favor, check out the highlights of this game on YouTube. I've shared them in the past too. If you just look for the NB87 hashtag, I'm sure you'll come across the video. Now, game four aside, the Lakers dominated the series. Seven players averaged 10 or more points per game, led by James Worthy's 22 points per contest. The Warriors did share the scoring load too, but were simply outmatched across the board. Sleepy led the Warriors with 22.6 points and 10.4 assists per game. 
Seven players average 10 or more points per game in this series. I think as a team, this series, the Lakers average 716 points per game. <laughs> uh, the Eastern Conference's other series was the pick of the bunch as the number one seeded Boston challenged number four seed Milwaukee. The series went the distance, featuring a fantastic array of games, matchups, and moments. Game three went to overtime. Game four, double overtime. Again, set aside some time and watch some of these epic games on YouTube. There are numerous Larry Bird masterclasses. Plus, this Bucks squad was one of the league's best teams that never made an NBA Finals in the 80s. From 1981 through 87, Milwaukee won 50 or more games, and in 1980, they had 49 wins. Now, Boston took a commanding 3-1 series lead with a win in Milwaukee in Game 4 before the Bucks kicked back with a stirring... <laughs> That's ridiculous. Bucks kicked back. I just read that now. Uh, with a stirring... With <laughs> <laughs> stirring wins in Game 5 and 6. That's inadvertent comedy there. At home, Boston eventually overcame Milwaukee with a 119-113 win in Game 7. Bird averaged 29.9 points, 9.7 rebounds, and 7.4 assists per game. Amazingly, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and Dennis Johnson all averaged 20-plus points a game, too. The Bucks' main weapons were Terry Cummings with 22.9 points and 9.1 rebounds a game, and Sid Moncrief with 20.9 points per contest. Now, after 11 seasons as head coach, including an astonishing run of seven straight division titles, this was Don Nelson's last hurrah with the Bucks. He'd return to a head coaching position for the 1989 NBA season with the Golden State Warriors. On May 7th, Bulls season ticket holders had a little extra in their renewal notice this week. Some information concerning the upcoming NBA All-Star Game to be held on February 7 in Chicago. Tickets for the game will cost $37.50 and the number available to them will be dependent on the number of season tickets purchased. The tickets for All-Star Saturday will be incredibly $10. Isn't that amazing? Even if you're up in the nosebleeds, to be there for $10, what an investment that was. (laughs) Also on the 7th of May, Ricky Pierce, great friend of the show, episode 28, was named the sixth man of the year. He received 41 first place votes. Second place was Vinny the Microwave Johnson of Detroit with 19 and third Michael Cooper of the Lakers with seven. Now, Ricky would also win the award in 1990. Moving to May the 12th, Michael Cooper, the aforementioned, of the Lakers was named the league's defensive player of the year. He received 25 votes from a panel of 78 people. 1986 winner Alvin Robertson came in second place with 16 votes and Mark Eaton, episode 49, another great friend of the show, came in third with 10 votes. Manute Bowl had eight votes and Kevin McHale five, rounding out the top five. Now, according to basketballreference.com, Coop started just two games in the 1987 regular season. That's amazing. Coming off the bench to win that award is is remarkable. It's a pretty impressive effort by him also considering some of the ridiculous block numbers that the likes of Mark Eaton and Minu Bowl came up with that season. They were swatting shots with reckless abandon. Reckless abandon. <laughs> <laughs> On the 14th, Doug Collins was moonlighting as a broadcaster for TNT <laughs> during the Bulls' newly found off-season. Collins was on hand as Isaiah Law Thomas III put up 25 points in a quarter against the Atlanta Hawks in their playoff matchup. Turner play-by-play man Skip Carey asked Collins on air if he had ever seen a guard take control of a game like that. (laughs) Collins responded with, yeah, about 60 or 70 times this season. (laughs) Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. Oh my, what was I thinking about? Replied a horrified carry who profusely apologised to Collins for forgetting Michael Jordan. Uh. Collins worked for Turner through Game 5 of the Celtics Pistons series, but still managed to work on his current job as Bulls coach by taking tapes of college players on the road to study for the upcoming draft. I love Doug's dedication, and I also love the fact that he had a quick slide into the great uh, commentary realm, because he is a fantastic commentator, knew the game inside and out, and um, prior to actually taking the job as the Bulls coach, was commentating, I think, for the 76ers as well with Neil Funk. One of the the finest analysts on, on TV that I've ever experienced. Yep, no doubt, mate. Also on this day, it was reported that Magic Johnson had been named the NBA's MVP for the season, and I wonder what colour pair of lacy undies that Moses had on that day. (laughs) Now, that's a throwback to uh, our previous episode. Magic won the award easily, getting 65 first-place votes to 10 for second-place getter Michael Jordan. 
Also, Chuck Person, who was booed by Pacers fans on draft day, was named NBA Rookie of the Year. Hmm. I'll get to some of those awards uh, in a little while, mate, because these uh, were, inverted commas, unofficially announced on that date. Unofficially announced, that is correct, yeah. So, Person really chucked it back in Pacers fans' face, didn't he? <laughs> they great season. And... An extraordinary little tidbit here, Adam. Jazz GM Dave Checkett denounced Salt Lake Mayor LeVar McMillan for saying that there should be racial quotas in NBA teams, essentially ensuring that there is sufficient white players on teams. That is extraordinary. As my co-host may have just alluded to a moment ago, initially booed by fans at Market Square Arena when his name was announced as Indiana's first pick in the 1986 draft, number four overall, the Pacers' Chuck Person was named the NBA Rookie of the Year on May 14. He received 68 votes from a panel of 78 members, and the other 10 went to Ron Harper of Cleveland. Chuck averaged 18.8 points and 8.3 rebounds a game, playing all 82 regular season contests and starting 78 of them after Clark Kellogg succumbed to serial knee problems <laughs> following the team's fourth game of the season. I know that I mentioned it before, Adam, but I think we're contractually obligated to say future Chicago Bull, Ron Harper. Oh, I should have, shouldn't I? I've dropped the ball there. So apologies there to future Chicago Bull, Ron Harper. Uh, on 16th of May, the Western Conference Finals commenced as the upstart number seven seeded Seattle took on the mighty number one seeded LA Lakers. The Lakers swept the Sonics off the floor. Games one, two and three were decided by margins of just five, eight and one point respectively. However, Game 4 at Seattle was a 133-102 to 102 demolition job by the Lakers. The Sonics' Xavier McDaniel was the series' single-game high scorer with a 42-point effort in Game 3. James Worthy was a monster for the Showtime Lakers with averages of 30.5 across the four-game sweep. X-Man averaged 24.8 points and 8.5 rebounds for the Sonics with Tom Chambers next in line with 18.3 points per game. 1988 NBA All-Star, Xavier McDaniel. Indeed, mate, indeed. And uh, I mentioned before uh, a couple of names, the Mavericks' James Donaldson, and also we mentioned former Chicago Bulls' Steve Johnson, both uh, selected for the 88 All-Star Game. Or in the words of Hot Rod Hunley, James Donaldson! (laughs) R.I.P. Hot Rod. Now, as an addendum to this, mate, I read an interesting tidbit in the May 24th edition of the Hartford Current, Peter May reported that Bernie Bickerstaff and his Sonics flew home to Seattle after Game 1 before flying back for Game 2 two days later. Said Bernie, quote, I don't think LA is a good place to be at this time. We want the players to spend some time in their own beds, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> the series concluded on May 25, which is important when we contrast this with the epic seven-game struggle in the East. On uh- May 18th, it was reported that San Antonio had won the draft lottery and planned on selecting Navy's David Robinson. The Bulls were to pick 8th after obtaining the pick in a transaction that started with the move of Juwan Oldham to the Knicks back in 1986. At this point, Scottie Pippen's name had not been mentioned as one of the projected top picks at all in the Chicago Tribune. And that's fascinating in itself, given the rise in his draft stock uh, following some of these postseason tournaments and uh, camps he took part in. Mm. Now, on the 18th, Magic Johnson was officially named MVP. He averaged a career-best 23.9 points per game and led the NBA in assists with 12.2 per contest. He also steered LA to a 65-17 and record. Irvin was the first guard to win the award since the Big O, Oscar Robertson, in 1964. Isn't that amazing? 23 years, no guards, which shows you how... Big man-centric the NBA was back then. Absolutely, mate. Now, on the 19th, the Eastern Conference Finals featured defending champion Boston against the number three-seeded Pistons of Detroit. The series went the full seven games, and there were numerous great games, occasional brutality, and series-changing moments. Down 0-2, returning home, Detroit had to win the next two games. Game three featured a brouhaha that will never be forgotten. Beer completed a takedown on Bird that led to pandemonium on the floor. Larry immediately began punching Lane Beer, and seconds later, after being separated, Bird then grabbed the game ball and pitched it at Lane Beer's head, and it was on again. Seasting, and the 24-second clock goes down, and Bird and Lane Beer go at it. I don't remember Larry Bird getting as angry as I saw him there. Now Bird would stand for 
getting pulled down on a layup, but not on a play like that with the clock running down. And he really got taken down very hard. And, of course, Bird is very upset at Lambeer and has been for a long time. Now Rodman goes after Bird after Bird threw the ball. Larry Bird and Bill Lambeer have both been ejected from the game. Post-game, courtesy of the Hartford Current and Bill Shea, I believe, Larry Bird said, quote, They shouldn't have stopped it. They should have let it go on. This one time, they should have kept everyone out of the way and let the two of us go at it. Then we would have seen how tough he is. Then we would have seen who the man is, end quote. How good is that from Larry? Laying it out there. Yeah. Uh, Lane Beer was fined $5,000 and Bird $2,000. After a convincing win in Game 3, Detroit looked to level the series in Game 4. And that was Bill Lambeer, wasn't it? All that he wanted to do... He didn't want to fight in games. He just wanted to get in guys' heads and get under their skin. And that's exactly what he did to a Larry Bird, who you might like to say was one of the more unflappable players in the NBA. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That is one of the best. Uh, <laughs> that was really good. Oh, boy. Detroit were firing on all pistons in game four, thumping the Celtics 145-119. to And the series was now tied, heading back to Boston. Perhaps no moment in conference finals history is more heartbreaking for the team that ultimately lost the series than Game 5. The Pistons stole defeat from the jaws of victory in the closing seconds of the game when Larry Legend lived up to his name and stole Isaiah Thomas's inbound pass with five seconds remaining. The Pistons were up by one point at the time and could have taken a 3-2 lead back home to Detroit for Game 6. I was just speaking about how unflappable Bird was <laughs> after that play in which the ball went out of bounds and it was Pistons' ball when they were up late in the game. You see the Pistons running around on the court like chooks with their head cut off, not to bring in another Bird pun. but <laughs> It's pretty foul, but keep going. But they were running around thinking that they'd won the game, but here's, here's Larry Bird and his composure and his ability to complete that play is an example of what made him as great as what he was. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Now, we also can't actually forget Boston's revenge on the hit on Bird in Game 3, an extraordinary sequence where Robert Parrish effectively wrote a speculative script for what would be Silence of the Lamb. Stunningly, Robert Parrish was not even called for a foul after he punched Bill Lambier in the face twice, at least, whilst fighting for a rebound. Tipped by Parrish. He can't get it to fall, and Parrish takes Lambier to the ground with a right forearm. Parrish's tip won't go, and down low, Parrish and Lambeer. Robert Parrish is hot. And Robert Parrish just hit him in the face twice. There's got to be, be something. That's got to be more than just a foul on Darren Day. And I'm, I'm not trying to choose sides, but watching the game and watching the replay, that was, that was two punches to the face. And Parrish said, I had enough for you, Lambeer, and he just let him have it. Sure did. And a lot of people have said around the league that sooner or later, because of Lambeer's physical reputation, somebody was going to clobber him. He would subsequently be fined $7,500 for his actions and suspended for Game 6. The Pistons rallied to take Game 6 back home before eventually running out of gas in a Game 7 Classic 117-114. to Bird averaged 27.1 points, 10.4 rebounds and 7.6 assists per game. Adrian Dantley led all Detroit scorers with 23.6 points per game, with Isaiah Thomas close behind with 23.1 and averaging also 9.1 assists a contest. The series concluded on May the 30th, meaning that the Lakers had five days extra rest than the battle-weary Celtics, who had just had back-to-back seven-game epics. One final note on this series. We can't bypass Isaiah Thomas's comments about Larry Bird after the Pistons' Game 7 loss. He said, after being asked by the press, who had been speaking about Bird with Dennis Rodman, quote, Larry is a very good player, an exceptional talent, but if he were black, he'd just be another good guy, end quote. Mm. Pretty 
bitter and ugly by Isaiah, wasn't it really? It was, and it led to a bit more fallout that actually would uh, continue on through the NBA Finals. On May 20, the Tribune detailed MJ's busy off-season, including coaching Patrick Ewing, Dominique Wilkins and James Worthy in a three-on-three competition in Chicago, in which the three play a trio of competition-winning fans. How cool is that? That is unbelievably great. I'd just love to see a bit more detail about this or a few random photos would be just fantastic, but great find. On the 25th, Bob Verdi pleaded the case that Michael Jordan should have been named the NBA's MVP for the season. He compared the stats of MJ and Magic. Jordan's 37.1 points per game to Magic's 23.9, 236 steals to Johnson's 138. I don't think I've ever called Magic Johnson's. 125 <laughs> blocks, which were 28 more than the Lakers' centre cream. Magic finished with 36 and 3,281 minutes to 2,904. Included in this was the luxury afforded to Magic of sitting out several fourth quarters in Laker blowouts. I mean, he makes a fantastic point. When you just compare purely the statistical breakdowns there, it looks really good for Jordan. I mean, Magic obviously led his team to 65 wins. Uh, Jordan and the Bulls sort of eked their way into the playoffs, but clearly Jordan was uh, on a monumental rise, which will continue for uh, the best part of another decade. And extraordinarily, on the 27th, Adam, two all-NBA voters left the aforementioned Michael Jordan off their selected first team, as Magic Johnson was the only unanimous choice. Jordan joined Magic, Elijah Wan, Bird, and McHale on the first team. How can someone leave him off? Not off the ballot, but yeah, didn't vote for them for the first team. Extraordinary. I mean, he's averaging over 37 points a game, uh, single-handedly took the balls to the playoffs. On May 28, it was announced that Michael Jordan was to be named MVP. The Seagram Sports MVP, that is. <laughs> the award is given to the player who registers the highest rating when their statistics in certain categories are placed into a computer. Michael <laughs> Jordan beat out Maddie Johnson for the award, and he thanked the computer in the award ceremony <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. Uh, that's very PC of him. <laughs> I enjoyed that joke. <laughs> on May 29, the NBA pre-draft camp at UIC <laughs> has begun and the first mention of the name Scotty Pippen as a player at the camp that you probably haven't heard of. Yeah, love that. Moving on to June the 1st. Charles Oakley was the first second-year player since the Big E Elvin Hayes in 1970 to lead the NBA in rebounding. Good stuff there from Oak. In the lead-up to the NBA draft, the Bulls even have trainer Mark File on the case. File was given a list of 50 players and calls his counterparts at each player's school to check on the injury history. The Bulls coaching staff had also started reviewing video on each of the top 30 prospects for the upcoming draft. I love this sort of stuff, mate. Uh, if anyone's going to be able to go through a list of uh, 50 players and uh, keep copious amounts of notes, it's going to be Mark File. Always good with the paperwork. <laughs> June 2nd, the LA Clippers retain the rights to former Bull, Quinton Daly. Good to get a uh, Q mention. Good for Q as well. On the 2nd, the 1987 NBA Finals commenced. First, some brief history. This would be the 10th time that the Lakers and Celtics met in the Finals. Boston aimed to become the first team since the franchise did so in 1969 to win back-to-back -back NBA titles. Courtesy of a Bob Ryan piece in the Boston Globe on the day of Game 1, he noted that in their two 1987 regular season meetings, the Celtics, quote, led at the quarter, the half, and the three-quarter mark in each game, end quote. However, the Lakers prevailed both times. Further, Bob and Jack Craig listed in the Globe's Celtics-Lakers notebook that there would be five former championship series most valuable players with a collective eight awards playing in the 1987 finals. Wow. Kareem, Bill Walton, Dennis Johnson, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird. Hashtag loaded. Indeed. To get to the finals, the Lakers played 12 games. Boston played 17. Boston was taken to the brink twice with back-to-back seven-game series, and the Lakers went into the finals as overwhelming favourites, particularly given the injuries that McHale, stress fracture in his right foot, and Parrish, sprained ankle, were carrying. Plus, the Lakers had home court advantage. It's an unconfirmed report that the other chief actually played several games in the Detroit series with a broken right hand. <laughs> Uh, game one at Los Angeles, the Lakers had a 126 to 113 win and the Lakers were up one game to nil. Bob Ryan dubbed it, quote, one of the great fast break exhibitions ever seen in the NBA playoffs, end quote. 
as the Lakers cruised to a 13-point win after starting the game with a 9-0 run. Worthy indeed lived up to his surname, dropping a game-high 33 points and dished out a season-high 10 assists. The Lakers out-rebounded the Celtics 47-32 to with a huge 17-5 edge on the offensive boards. Larry Bird had a great game with 32 points, 7 rebounds and 6 assists, but it was not enough to stop the Lakers' juggernaut. Dennis Johnson chimed in with 13 assists. Now on the 4th of June, Game 2, Boston were defeated 141-122 to and the Lakers went up 2 games to nil. Bob Ryan said it best in his Boston Globe recap, a good, solid first quarter that would have earned a 10-point lead over any other team in the league, it meant nothing. Three starters over 20 points, meant nothing. Shooting 55% for the second game in a row, meant nothing. You get the point. Though the Celtics led early, 14-8, the Lakers decimated Boston in a 19-point rout. LA held a 15-point lead after three, after which the game was a foregone conclusion. As per Bob Ryan, the Lakers had five players score 20 or more points in this game. Byron had 24, Worthy and Kareem 23, Magic 22, plus 20 assists if you don't mind, and Cooper 21. 113 of the team's 141 points. It's amazing. It is incredible. The only guy on the roster not to score was Wes Matthews, who was 0 of 3 in 6 minutes. For Boston, Bird, DJ and McHale had 20 plus, but to no avail. I'm going to have to again remind you of your uh, contract obligations, Adam. Former Bull, Wes Matthews. <laughs> That's true. As I said his name, I thought, oh, do I work that in? Something? <laughs> anyway, thank you for uh, reminding me. During the halftime break of Game 2, Isaiah joined Brent Musburger in an attempt to defuse his comments that we alluded to earlier. Earlier that same day, Larry Bird had sat alongside Thomas at a press conference that was aimed to clear the air. Jokingly, I say it, but I have to agree with Rob and smile and laugh and uh, that I heard was black and he's just another good guy. And from that... I don't think Isaiah's stupid. He knows I'm a bad player. (laughs) You feel sorry for Dennis Rodman? I'm going to bust him next year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be every game. (laughs) The whole scenario probably endeared Bird even more to the media and fans in general, as he did all he could to just dismiss the story. Again, unflappable bird, Adam. How that's never dawned on me with my love of wordplay, uh, I'll never know, but congratulations for coming up with that one. And in coaching news on this date, Dallas replaced Dick Motta with John McLeod and Milwaukee replaced Don Nelson with his former assistant, Dal Harris. On June 5th, it was reported in the Chicago Tribune after the Lakers' 141-122 to laugher in Game 2 of the finals, Lakers forward Michael Thompson said the win was a team effort and I quote, that's why there is no Michael Jordan on this team, end quote. Wow. Take that, Michael. That's a slap in the face. More trade talks surrounding the Bulls and unhappy Rocket Center Ralph Sampson. Also, Bulls GM Jerry Krause and Sonics GM Bob Whitsitt have held talks with the Sonics listening to offers for forward Tommy Chambers. Hmm, very interesting indeed. Now, on June the 7th, Game 3 of the finals continued at Boston, and the Celtics held on for a 109-103 win to work their way back into the series, two games to one down. Trailing 29-22 to after one, Boston steadied, outscoring LA 38-27 in the second before holding on for a six-point win. The Lakers were led by Magic Johnson's 32 points, 11 rebounds, and nine assists, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's 27-point and seven-rebound effort. Bird, whilst 10-24 of 24 on 42% shooting, Finished the game with 30 points, 12 rebounds, and 4 assists. Dennis Johnson added 26 valuable points, and McHale added 21 points and 10 rebounds. On one foot. On one foot, indeed. Though scoreless, Greg Kite flew high, contributing (laughs) 9 rebounds, 5 of which were offensive, as opposed to offensive. On June 9, Billy McKinney celebrated his 32nd birthday with his new role as VP of Basketball Operations that was offered to him by Jerry Krause. The appointment makes him one of the youngest executives in the NBA and the first black executive in Bulls history. McKinney spent the 86-87 season in both an assistant coach and scout role. I love that. It was added that Doug Collins likes UNLV's Armand Gilliam, though he isn't expected to be available when the Bulls select at number eight in the draft. Hmm. Now, just on Billy McKinney, I reckon... 
to start the 85-86 season, and we did talk about this in NB86. He was on the Bulls roster as a player for a little while. Yeah. So uh, great stuff there for Billy McKinney. Game four of the finals, the Lakers had a 107-106 to win. This is June the 9th we're talking about. The Boston Globe headline said it all. This moment, Magic's 107-106. Five seconds to go. Magic with a hook shot. Scores with two. And the Celtics trail by one with two seconds to go. To the left goes Magic. He's got it. He didn't shoot it. Five seconds left. Magic down the middle. Just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good! Two seconds left. The Lakers take the lead on Magic Johnson's running sky hook. Two seconds. Now, 107-106. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the most exciting games we've ever had the privilege of broadcasting. We hope that we've done justice to it for you. Down six points with less than two minutes to play. The Lakers took a commanding 3-1 series lead. In the words of Bob Ryan, Magic Johnson, quote, calmly moved from left to right across the key and released a 1955 running hook (laughs) out of the Tom Heinsohn memory book. Beautiful. End quote. Post-game, Magic dubbed his game winner the Junior Junior Skyhook. <laughs> that was also, of course, a, uh, a fantastic line, which is remembered to this day. He hit the shot over Parrish, McHale, and Bird, just uh, to add extra emphasis to how great of a shot that was. Boston had two seconds to summon any leprechauns left in the garden. However, it was not to be as Bird's long two bounced off the rim as time expired. Moving on to the 11th of June, Game 5. Boston had a great win, 123-108, to and the Lakers still held a 3-2 series lead. To Boston's credit, they secured a comfortable win, sending the series back to LA. Magic Johnson, the hero of Game 4, played a lone hand for the Lakers with 29 points, 8 rebounds, 12 assists, and 4 steals. Tied after one quarter, the Celtics outscored LA 38-23 in the second and entered the fourth with a 96-77 lead. In this game, the Celtics would match a feat the Lakers first achieved, five players with 20 or more points in a game. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it incredible? Yeah. Dennis Johnson, 25, Bird, 23, McHale had 22, and Ainge and Parrish, 21 apiece. On the 14th of June, my 12th birthday, uh, game six, the Lakers closed out the series 106-93, to four games to two. What seemed inevitable came to fruition as the Lakers' 13-point win secured the 1987 championship as they defeated the gallant Celtics in Game 6 of the finals. Boston jumped out to a 32-25 lead after one and held a 56-51 edge at the half. The team's third quarter really let them down. The Lakers outscored the Celtics 30-12 in the third period. LA's lead heading into the fourth quarter was 13 points. That would ultimately be the game's final margin. Dennis Johnson scored 33 points for Boston, matching the same number of points he scored for the Sonics in Game 4 of the 1978 Finals. Nice little tidbit there. And McHale had 20 points and 10 rebounds, and Larry Bird added 16 points on 6 of 16 shooting. Kareem was the Lakers' leading scorer with 32 points. James was noteworthy with 22, whilst NBA Finals MVP Magic Johnson had 16 points, 8 rebounds, and 19 assists. The Magic Man became the first player to win three Finals MVPs. Now let's quickly look back at the key stats for the 87 finals, mate. For the Lakers, Magic led the team in four categories, 26.2 points, 8 rebounds, 13 assists, and 2.3 steals per game. Kareem and Worthy each averaged 20-plus points per game. (laughs) And for Boston, Bird led the Celtics in points with 24.2 and rebounds with 10 per game. Dennis Johnson led the team in assists with 9.3 per contest, and he also averaged 21 points a game. Our high men for the playoffs. Points, Sleepy Floyd had that 51-point epic in uh, Game 4 of the series against the Lakers on the 10th of May. In rebounds, Akeem Olajuwon had 25 at Seattle on the 14th of May. And Magic Johnson had 20 assists versus the Celtics on the 4th of June during the finals. That, mate, wraps up NB87. The series is done and dusted. Thank you again for being a part of the show, mate. Couldn't do it without you. Uh, anything you'd like to add as a final bow to this series? Well, Adam, yes, we're uh, in up to our armpits in research for <laughs> for the 87-88 season and NB88. Probably it and NB93 are going to be my two favourite series that we do. So we've been talking about NB88 for a while and uh, it's really, really cool to be digging up all kinds of new tidbits in our research for the series. So uh, giddy up. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues in allairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show. Jerry Krause added that he doesn't believe in giving up the future for immediate short-term girl... Uh, girls. <laughs> <laughs>